What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. One quick reminder for the month of October 2020, we are doing a giveaway if you leave us a review. So make sure you subscribe and let us know what you think of the Leading People First podcast. If you're listening to this and it's still the year 2020, maybe you're wondering how you can pull off impactful and memorable experiences. My next guest is a pro at creating awesome events and has had to shift her strategies going from in-person to virtual. Jane Main is an 11-year event professional and a graduate of Penn State University with a BS in business management. She started her career at the Grand Del Mar in San Diego for the resort's grand opening and later transitioned to third-party planning. In 2016, Jane joined Illumina as a senior event manager, where she manages internal global meetings and was recently named to the Connect 40 Under 40 list. She has a passion for philanthropy and is the director at large for Gently Hugged, a nonprofit organization in San Diego servicing families in need. So let's dive in and find out how you can create memorable events, even in this virtual world. Thank you for having me. I am so pleased to be here today. We're really happy to have you. It's uh, exciting to get to talk to people from many walks of life, and that's exactly what uh, we want to do on this podcast. So the first question I'd like to ask everyone is, what does it mean to you to lead people first? So for me, I feel as though I kind of want to look out for the little guys. So it's this concept of shine the light on the little guy and when you can enable and empower people of all titles and backgrounds at an organization, you really get a more well-rounded collaborative environment. So for me, I really try and put together teams that involve all people in different points of their career. Because I think that's when you really get a more well-rounded approach. And in being at Illumina, because we're a global company and because I help manage global events, it's so important to reach out to regions and people within regions of any level at the organization to really hear from them what would resonate with people there. So for me, leading people first isn't just about going to the top of the organization. It's about speaking with all levels of the organization. And additionally, it's really that your people are the asset. So when we start to invest in our people, protect them, I think we just get so much more return on what I believe our organization's biggest asset, which, which really are their people. I couldn't have said it better myself, right? Like that's exactly my mindset. So mm-hmm. thank you. I'm glad we're mm-hmm. of one of like mind. So uh, as I said in the intro, you started your career opening at the Grand Del Mar, and now you're spearheading the uh, global internal meetings at Illumina. So walk us through how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um, so I am a re- recent or originally from Philadelphia and moved out to San Diego on September 15th of 2007. So if people can quickly do the math, that means I'm celebrating my 13 year anniversary. I like to say, um, in a few days, 
And I um, landed my first job in San Diego in the hospitality industry at the Grand Del Mar. Um, worked there for a few years and was able to go through the resort opening, which anyone in the hospitality industry that's been through a resort opening knows everything that's involved in that. Um, after working there for a few years, realized there was this career uh, as a meeting planner. And I had never even really understood that going through college, that that could even be a, a career path you could have. So I joined um, a small meeting planning company, worked there for a few years, then joined a larger third party agency, and then landed at Illumina in 2016. Ironically, with my best friend from high school that drove out to San Diego with me. So she is a scientist, was working at Illumina. I saw a job at Illumina that was a meeting planner and it was like, oh, the stars aligned for us to end up working at the same company when we had moved out to California together. So joined Illumina in 2016, focused on customer facing events and the regional marketing department. And then in 2018, moved to focus on our internal global events. So since then, I've planned a few of our global sales meetings and our global marketing meetings. And recently, kick-started our global events council again. So gathering about 25 of the event planners at Illumina to meet every so often to just kind of connect and collaborate. And there is really where... I feel this leading people first has come to light. I think when we originally spoke, I said, I'm the little guy I even feel in my role. And I don't necessarily have the title of the leader at the organization, but I feel as though I am leading people in a sense. So I think you can lead even without the title. And I think that's what's important is that you can have that role without having the title to back that up. And I think that if you are passionate about what you do and you make sure that everyone has a voice, you can really be known as somebody with authority and hold your own in those important executive meetings. So that's kind of where I'm at right now and the path to how I got here. <laughs> that's fantastic. A, a great growth story from from what you what you've experienced where you started and where you're at now the thing that i love about your what you answered is that leaders come from anywhere it's about the little guy little guys can be leaders too you do not have to have that managerial title because there's a lot of individuals who are executive quote unquote leaders, but they don't actually lead people. They only lead with authority versus leading through influence. And one of the reasons why I'm even interviewing you is because someone else recognized you as a people first leader. Uh, and with your event planning background, I noticed that you are recognized as a super connector. So I wanna ask you, how did you learn to lead people first? I think a lot of people may agree with me on this one that as you have different jobs in your life, you can sometimes learn the most from the leaders that you might consider poor leaders or just the skills that they might have or the way that they manage or lead you that you didn't necessarily like or didn't resonate or sit well with you. So I think just, you know, it can start in any job really from your first job that you ever have. So. Um, 
while you know you do have those experiences that might not be as positive i think you learn from them you learn more from them probably than the good experiences so i think it's just kind of that treat people as you would want to be treated manage as you would want to be managed and i think what i've started to really come to my own on recently is like listening to people and asking the questions so you're if you come to the table thinking you know all the answers you're going to strike out from the beginning so what I've been trying to do recently is to really involve the other person in problem solving. Um, I had this amazing kind of meeting the other day with this global sales meeting that we're planning. So it will now be virtually. So we're just trying to figure out how do we pull this off virtually and still have individuals in all parts of the world feel like they're having the same experience. And I had a call. So I stood up this regional program lead that I'm going to tap into in each of the regions to kind of get their advice on what would resonate with their region. And I had a, I, you know, had my deck ready for the call and I was going to present and had some ideas. And then we started right off the bat and she started sharing these ideas that she had for the, the program and how, it, and I could just see like the light light up in her eyes. And I think by allowing her to feel like her voice was heard, and that her decisions like matter and her the time she had invested in putting these things together like i it was a two-way conversation versus that one-way conversation and i think that really resonates well with people when you allow them to have a voice um, and you really truly care about what they have to say um that's what i think i've learned from my bad experiences but i've turned that hopefully into something that people I work with appreciate. Yeah, that's something that's really great. The thing I really like about that is, again, you're letting this individual have a voice. You're creating a space, a safe space for good and bad ideas to be thrown about, right? You know, people will not speak up if they don't feel like they have the psychological safety in that, in whatever arena that you're, you're providing. Uh, going to the event planning side and looking at how your team is working on creating a great experience through a virt now virtual event. We know that the pandemic has really thrown the employee experience kind of into the wind. And you recently did a virtual event where you had a live Q&A with Dr. Allison and Dr. Sharma from the documentary Breakthrough. So the question I have for you is, what are some ways leaders can cr uh, get creative with technology so they can keep making an amazing employee experience while everyone is distributed and working from home? This is one of the things I'm probably most passionate about right now. And it's taken, I think, learning from a lot of what other meeting planners are doing just in the spirit of collaboration right now. And we recently had a speaker come and talk to us about how do you, and she said, events don't go online. And that's this provocative statement. And then you're, you're begging for more. What do you mean events don't go online? That's my entire job that I'm trying to justify. And she said, what I mean is that if you take your in-person event, you have to completely deconstruct it and you have to build it from the ground up. So your past in-person event may have had all of these different functions. You have to figure out, okay, now when I'm doing this event virtually, does it make sense for me to convert this one activity like a reception into a virtual 
um, meeting or do we put this on hold and pause until in-person is back? And what I think is the most important right now for virtual events is that your content is king. And what this woman said as well is that we are TV producers in a sense. So look at what people watch on TV that they do in their free time or that they even pay to do. You want to create programming for your virtual events that mimics these popular shows or movies that people will pay to watch. So with the Dr. Allison and Dr. Sharma event, it was a project that I had been working on for over two years. And finally, with um, the documentary that got released, I went to the website and I found that you could do these virtual screenings, put a contact us through their website and got a reply from the director who said, would you like to have them come speak at your company? And I'm like, I have been trying to get them to speak at my company for two years. Yes, please. So the thing with virtual is you allow access to some of these thought leaders that you wouldn't have been able to get before because their schedules wouldn't permit them to travel. So I think there are pros and cons to both in person and virtual, but for virtual, for me, what I think is exciting is you can still create engaging moments that people will remember forever. As we were having our event in the chat box, people were just blown away and just saying, you know, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so inspired. I feel so closely tied back to our mission. So it's a moment that people will then be able to remember forever. So do you say, let's just wait till an in-person event is back and up and running? I don't think so. What you have to do is really deconstruct your event. Your content is king. So making sure your content is solid and making sure that attendees still do feel engaged in the event. And the way we did that was through, you know, trivia, communication through the chat function, um, these viewing parties we had leading up to the event. So I think there's still things that we can do that really resonate well with people in this different environment that we're working in. That's fantastic. Something that people are keeping an eye on, I wonder if you are as well, is the Apple event next week. You know, by the time this podcast drops, this episode drops, you know, we, we, that event will already have happened. But um, from an event planning standpoint, is that something that you're looking to? Because again, Apple has this reputation as delivering these amazing, you know, amazing events. And there's no doubt in my mind that they would really focus on that and bringing a different element from a virtual standpoint. Definitely. And I think what people may or may not realize is that virtual events still cost money to produce. I think you can do some virtual events economically if you're, you know, depending on what your objective is. But for the big signature events, I have said from the beginning when I'm talking to the leadership team, we are moving money. So the money you used to spend on food and the hotel room, you're now putting that into your production costs because you're producing a TV show. No one is asking HBO to produce Game of Thrones on a shoestring budget because it's a production. So you're spending your money now on these virtual events in a different way than you would for in-person. So I think what I am trying to communicate as much as I can to people is it's the movement of money. It's not necessarily taking money away, um, especially for these big events like Apple's putting on. I heard that Apple has their own internal production team 
and a lot of the content is heavily scripted just because they have a message, a look, and a feel that is unique to Apple. So when people tune in to the Apple event, I'm sure the event will blow people away, but it's because they've put a lot of time, money, and thought behind it. For people that are not meeting planners, they may or may not know just the amount of time that really does go into these events. I think once people plan their wedding on their own, they quickly realize that and have a new appreciation for the field of meeting planning. But I think that what I've also communicated is that virtual events can even mean more time sometimes than you're in person. So excited to see kind of what they put together. We always look to companies like that to get inspired. I recently started a networking group called Better Together, which is meeting planners in the Southern California region to connect on what they're doing. And I like just think it's this concept that really we, when we can collaborate and work together, we can create even better work than we would have in our own silo. And I think our next target would be to open up a chapter in Northern California. And I'm really hoping to get some planners from, you know, the tech companies up there to see, to really collaborate more deeply with them. So more to come on that. Hopefully that's something that we can get together in 2021. That's amazing. You're, you're really uh, using your super connector superpower uh, <laughs> to, to use there. And the thing that I can already tell that is, amazing about what you do and how you are leading is that you are recognizing that thought and ideas is not contained within a department or within a team or even within an organization right you know if we share these ideas we can all be better together and we can kind of all raise the tide right so that's that's amazing the thing that i personally am a big fan of is food and recently you had posted something about food and beverages and food and beverages are something that you know uh you said are a reason that you you got into event planning or is that the other way around did event planning get you into food and beverage yeah that's a good question i think that um growing up my mom was taking cooking classes into fusion food. I remember, I don't even know how old I was sitting in a Thai cooking class with her after school one day. So I think my passion for food has started from a really young age. And naturally in meeting planning, we get to plan, you know, food and beverage. So it's always been something that I care passionately about. Now, as we've shifted to virtual, um, I've, experienced some really cool virtual cooking demos. I'm actually working on a project with um, Hyatt Hotels to really show case some of the executive chefs at different Hyatt properties across the world. One of the other things I think is that people want to tell their story. For example, when I was talking to the Hyatt um, property in San Diego, they said, well, what do you want us to cook for your cooking show? I'm like, it's not about what I want you to cook for the cooking show. It's about what the chef wants to cook. So he has a story, like, let's hear him tell it. I mean, I said, the only parameters I'm really going to put around it are that we're doing this series across the world. So for this San Diego, like episode, it really shouldn't, it's within the U S really. So his parameter is a food from the U S but 
I want it to be him telling his story. So for me, I think everyone, especially with food and beverage, has a story to tell. So um, I think, you know, being from Philadelphia, cheese steaks and soft pretzels hold a place in my heart. But being in San Diego now, it's hard to come by those items. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking about all the Food Network shows <laughs> that, uh, you know, my family and I watch and, and how, yeah, you're right. Every chef, as they're going through, and I think, again, from a production standpoint, they really pull those stories out of the chefs or the bakers or the cooks, where it's like, why are you making this? Why is it this that speaks to your story, right? And um, I think that's an important point for leadership is being able to find those stories and personalizing it. And again, for me, I'm a big believer in food being one of the very few universal things that hu humans can connect over, right? Food is literally universal. People love food. So, I mean, what are some other ways that maybe leaders can utilize different mediums to really engage with their employees or really connect with them? Yeah, that's a good question. I think recently I love this concept of what is your superpower? So we did an exercise with Van and the Global Events Council where everyone had to draw their superpower. And then we converted it into this doodle that people, that was an artist was um, listening to the talk and then drew out um, everyone's superpower. So it's like, that's something so basic. You can start with the initial time you meet with somebody, whether it's a new team member or a new um, person you're working at in an organization, just asking them, like, what do you consider to be your superpower? One of the people that I um, just can't get enough of the content he puts out is Greg McCowan, who does the, he wrote Essentialism, and he recently launched a podcast a few months ago. So his entire concept is protect the asset and how can we do more with less in a sense. So it's the disciplined pursuit of less. So the whole concept of your superpower, protect the asset, disciplined pursuit of less, I think all goes hand in hand together because it's like, let's let that person shine where they get the most passion from and where they can really excel. It's just this win-win, it's natural. So I feel like now with this Global Events Council, it's like, not only do you do the exercise, but you have to really put it into practice and say you're like, oh, okay, that person is the, the problem solver. Well, I have this problem. It's not their problem, but maybe they'll help me solve it. <laughs> so um, that's something that I've recently come to just start to put into practice, I think is so important. I love that. I love that notion around it being a superpower, right? What is what is your superpower? What is that you're strong in? And something that I have thought is you draw your superpower from what your purpose is, right? Like each individual person has is a why. What is their why? What is their purpose? So I'd like to ask you, what is your purpose? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like the four, <laughs> there's like four people that I consider my mentor from afar because I'm not personally connected with them due to their status in this world, but I definitely consider them my mentors. And one of them is Simon Sinek with the start with why. And it's another thing that I constantly find myself thinking. It's like, 
why are we doing what we're doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's always like back to that. Well, what I always think to myself, if you won the lottery, if money wasn't an issue, the five-year plan, and I genuinely love what I do because I get to connect people and make memorable experiences. So if I can just keep doing that, the connection piece and the creating memorable experience, I will feel as though I'm winning in you know my professional and personal life. It's one of the reasons why I got connected with the Gently Hugged organization is because philanthropy is something that I hold near and dear to my heart. So that is part of my why. I think um, one of the things that Greg McCowan says in essentialism is this 90% rule. It's like, you say no to 90% of the things you're asked to do. And the reason is because when you say no, it then allows you to say yes to things that truly matter to you. So for me, you know, if I'm looking at, okay, I want to make sure time is money, it's limited, but the things that I hold near and dear to my heart that I'm passionate about, like the philanthropy and generally hug, well, that's like an automatic yes for me. That's easy. So I think it's so important to really make sure you're always starting with that. Why it just makes the decision-making process so much easier. Yeah, it really does. Um, if, if you're working on something that isn't contributing to your why you, you really need to think about why you're doing it right is if it's not bringing you joy if it's not getting you to your next goal it you know it it just isn't worth it um and so moving moving into the philanthropy side of things right with gently hugged what got you you know you you spoke a little bit about connecting with them but what really drew you to gently hugged versus a different organization yeah, for me, it was um, being a mom to two young children. You're in this position where you have feel really grateful for what you have. And with children, as I'm sure any parent can attest to, there's a lot of stuff. And specifically, there are a lot of clothes, especially for the first 12 years of 12 months of their life. So um, I found myself just having like things that I wanted to donate, but I really wanted to make sure I donated. I knew kind of where it was going to and that it was going to people in need. And I heard about this organization through a meeting planner event a couple of years ago. And what I love about them is they're super specific in what they're doing and they have really measurable goals. It's all volunteer based. So I feel as though where I can help them is really on the brainstorming of ways to further engage with the community. One of the things with COVID that happened to Gently Hugged is that they used to have donation bins set up around San Diego County in gyms and libraries and community centers. And with all of those centers closed, they had no donations coming in. So I started to talk to them about an idea to do this community champion program where they would have a mother or, you know, a father in a community that could kind of represent gently hugged and get donations. So I think again, with, with gently hugged, they were having a hard time because they weren't going directly to the source. And I said, the target parent you have is somebody that has a kid that is about 14, 15 months old that is done having children because then they're ready to give away all the clothes. So it's like, <laughs> that is so lasers, 
laser focused and specific. So once we got down to that level of detail, now I think they launched the program two months ago. They have seven community champions across San Diego, and now they can't, you know, the donations are just coming in quickly, whereas they were having very few donations with all the bins being closed. So again, it kind of, it goes back to that just being very specific and laser focused on what you're trying to do and achieve. That's amazing. I wish I had known about this <laughs> because I would have, I, you know, my wife and I are done having kids and uh, we literally just pawned off all of our clothes to all of our friends who are about to have kids. And <laughs> so yeah. uh, if I had known about that, I, I definitely would have <laughs> uh, donated, for, you know, I would have sent it down, down to San Diego. That's not a problem for us. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on was that since the pandemic had started, you started to fundraise for frontline workers, like putting on a virtual 80s dance party. And you shared the story about your cousin who's a nurse just outside of New York City. So what sparked that fire in you to fundraise for our amazing frontline workers? Yeah, I mean, I kind of get chills thinking about it because my cousin is a mom of three. She went to school to be a nurse, graduates last year, and then this is her first year as a nurse. And it's like, she says, okay, we knew when you're a nurse, this is kind of what you sign up to do, but who really signs up to do what they have to do in the circumstances they had to do it in right. um, with COVID. So we actually have birthdays that are a couple of days apart. We were born in 1984 and we were actually both born in the same hospital. So I was in the hospital overlapping with her and I'm like, I wanted to do something special for my birthday that I could give back to her and all the nurses and what they're doing. So started the fundraiser party like it's 1984. And our fundraising goal was $1,984. <laughs> um, so here we go back to that specific. Um, everything's tying in to have a purpose. I love a good theme party. So I figured why not dress up and then we did this dance party. So we then used all of the money to buy catering food for the frontline workers. Um, I also wanted to give back to the restaurants that were suffering as well. So it was just a win-win for everyone, for the people that donated. They got to see directly how the money was used. The restaurants, when I got to place the catering orders, were so appreciative of the business the staff at the hospital, I mean, inherently catering orders, just generally, they say they feed 10 and it feeds like 40. So my cousin was walking around the hospital giving away food to security and the receptionist. So it just brought a lot of joy to people. And it was something that I was really, you know, excited to be able to do as well. So um, that's, I think, again, like why I love doing what I do in whatever way I can do it. That's fantastic. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for doing that work. And, you know, thank you to your cousin who is of course doing amazing work. That's unfortunate that she <laughs> came into yeah. it at this time, but it's so needed. I know that there's such a big uh, nursing shortage. There's, you know, there's expected to be a big doctor shortage in, in the near future. So that work is so critical for us uh, as a society. And thank you for supporting them. Before we go, I would love for you to share where people can connect with you. 
Sure. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with social media, so I try to just um, be on LinkedIn. That's probably the platform where I'm on solely at this point to connect with. So connect with me on LinkedIn. I would love to, you know, being a connector, I always love when other people connect with me. So that would be the best place to reach me. Fantastic. I will link uh, Jane's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll also link the amazing organizations that she supports and works on in the show notes as well. So be on the lookout for those. Make sure you click on those and check those out. Jane, thank you again so much for your time. It's great to be able to uh, talk with someone who is, again, not traditionally considered a uh, leader. But again, like you said, leaders are in all walks of life. They come from anywhere. They can be the little guy. And you clearly are living that. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure. So thanks again for what you're doing and the work that you're spreading on this leading people first concept. I think it's awesome. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. Clearly, there's a lot that goes into creating fantastic experiences, and that includes the experiences that we as leaders create. I hope you got some ideas on how you can shift any events that you may have had planned to virtual. As people first leaders, we really have to recognize that there is an additional effort that comes with working from home and building connections in this virtual setting. A quick reminder, if you want to be entered into this month's drawing, make sure you leave us a review and send a screenshot to Chris Lynn at leadingpeoplefirst.com or share your review on Instagram and tag leading people first. Again, I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.